Hey, everybody, it's the Charlie Kirk Show. Does it matter the skin color of your pilot? What is DEI doing to how we look at people that are flying our planes? It's scary. We speak out against it uh, in a clip that has now gone totally viral. And an FAA safety officer, former FAA safety officer, joins our program to discuss. Email us, as always, freedom at charliekirk.com. Chip Roy joins the program. He represents Texas very, very well. And he talks about the border crisis. And is it time for Texas to ignore and defy the federal government? Finally, we talk about Naperville, Illinois. And will any liberals actually house illegals in their home? Email us, as always, freedom at charliekirk.com. That is freedom at charliekirk.com. Subscribe to our podcast. Open up your podcast application and type in Charlie Kirk Show. And email us, as always, freedom at charliekirk.com. Buckle up, everybody. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Noble Gold Investments is the official gold sponsor of The Charlie Kirk Show a company that specializes in gold IRAs and physical delivery of precious metals. Learn how you could protect your wealth with Noble Gold Investments at noblegoldinvestments.com. That is noblegoldinvestments.com. It's where I buy all of my gold. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com. Really great guest here. So over the last 24 hours, a lot of things have been going viral, including a clip that I was in from last week where I said that We should prioritize excellence, not diversity, when it comes to air travel. That DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, should mean nothing when it comes to safe trips at 35,000 feet. It has now been viewed 7 million times, and I can go even deeper in that, and I will uh, as the time presents. But I want to get to our guest in just a second here, because what DEI does, especially when you talk about the United Airline hiring quota, is that you are forcing criteria that is irrelevant. United Airlines is bragging that 50% of their new pilots, 50% of their new pilots will be black. Now, there are a lot of questions that arise from this. This means that if you have a qualified and extraordinarily black or women or female, if you have an extraordinarily qualified white pilot and a not so qualified or someone didn't do as well on their test, black pilot or female pilot, who do you choose, United Airlines? If Harvard University is any example, it shows that in order to reach abstract diversity, equity, inclusion, affirmative action goals, you end up having to lower the standard to reach that goal. This is United Airlines that triggered this entire conversation. Play cut 116. How is diversity and diversity targets working into the Aviate Academy? We have committed that 50% of the class of, of the classes will be women or people of color. Uh, today, only 19% of our pilots at United Airlines are women or people of color. And by the way, from all the data I've seen, that's the highest of any airline in the country. White males don't just dominate in the cockpits, also in the C-suite at United Airlines. Well, look, at United, I'm proud of the diversity that we actually have in our, our C-suite. I think if you look around corporate America, one of the things we do is for every job when we do an interview, we require 
women and people of color to be involved in, in the interview process. As if it's just the standard thing that we are now going to actively discriminate based on race or sex. For what reason? What, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Joining us now is Kyle Bailey, former FAA safety team representative. Uh, Kyle, thank you for taking the time today. What is your reaction? What does the pursuit of diversity have to do with safe air travel? You know, safe air travel is basically just your experience, your training, and really even the type of person that you are. But experience is the key. The, the number of flight hours and the quality of the training also is the key here. So, you know, to basically say that because of your your race, your skin color, whether you're male or female, you know, whether you're, you're a minority, uh, it, it doesn't cut it as far as, uh, you know, being in the left seat or the right seat of an airliner. Uh, you want to have that experience. You need that experience. The FAA mandates 1,500 flight hours for the, the typical person coming into the right seat of an airliner. Uh, those 1,500 flight hours are very hard to get, especially, you know, if, if you're in a, an inner city because you're paying hundreds of dollars of flight hours uh, to get to get this training, and it's a lot of money. And quite frankly, um, minorities in inner, inner cities don't have tens of thousands of dollars to throw away on flight training. Uh, so the question is, how do they get to, this, to, to those standards, or how does an airline get them to those 1,500-hour standards? to be a very competent pilot. Uh, but to answer your question, I mean, it, it, experience is, is the key. End of story. Uh, if it's anything less, safety uh, of these airliners is no doubt going to be in, in, in jeopardy. Are, are you concerned that airline safety might be in jeopardy because of this hyper-aggressive hiring push for diversity? You know, eventually it will. If this, if these programs go forward and people are just pushed through the system, it's also going to have a psychological effect on the qualified candidates who pretty much busted their tail from like 14 or 15 years old. When you go into an average cockpit of your average airliner, if you knocked on that cockpit door and said, hey, guys, tell me about your experience. When when did you start flying? Uh, they typically will say when they were 16, 17 years old, that's because they have a passion for it. You just don't wake up and say, you know what? I want to be an airline pilot. I see United, I see United Airlines is putting a program out there. I want to become an airline pilot now. Forget everything else I spoke about. It doesn't work that way. You either have the bug or you don't have the bug. And they say when you're very young, if you have a young child, you know, if that child has the bug. If an airplane flies over and they look to the sky, you know, they have that that love, that love and that passion and to become a pilot. So you, you can't put that into any into somebody who does not have that. Uh, in, in, you know, I would love to say, you know what, we have lots of women and we have lots of African-Americans flying airplanes if they have the proper qualifications. If they go through the same uh, interview scrutiny, say, as a white male does, it's fine. And I would encourage that if they did. And I would welcome it. You know, just recently we heard of uh, Miss America. Uh, she's, she's a young lady and she's going through all the proper steps. She has her pilot's license. She now is going into the Air Force. And she's going through those steps properly to probably one day wanting to become an airline pilot. So that's the type of person, uh, and, and 
the type of female we want to see become airline pilots where we know they're qualified and we know the passengers will really appreciate the fact that there is a qualified uh, individual in the left seat in that cockpit flying their airplane that they're paying a lot of money to fly on. So, Kyle, the American flying standards are very, very high. And thankfully, we've had a track record of millions of flights, praise God, knock on wood, in the last couple decades without a major airliner crash. And again, I just want to say we hope that continues. Now, we're starting to see a bubbling up of certain issues and problems, um, and there's a lot of close calls. Part of this is, and there's some rumors around this, that from the FAA, specifically Air Traffic Control, ATC, that they're prioritizing diversity as well. Can you talk about just broadly how important it is to be a qualified individual for air traffic control? We focus on the pilots, but air traffic control is a very high-pressure difficult task where I think everyone in the audience would agree that excellence and meritocracy should be the most important qualification to be an air traffic controller. That's right. Air traffic controllers are pretty much held to the same standards as airline pilots from the uh, psychological and the, you know, physical perspective. And even as far as their, 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 their training goes, a very strict uh, condensed FAA training program where it takes r- about two years to become become an air traffic controller, but you can't become an air traffic controller at 45 or 50 or 55 years old. You have to be the max age, I believe, is in the 30s to become an air traffic controller, and that's because they want somebody sharp. And your mind pretty much goes downhill after a certain age, like it or not. So uh, to to kind of there's no doubt in my mind that there's going to be any controllers who have any kind of psychological uh, a negative history in their background, but it really does play a key uh, because of there it's a very difficult job like the pilot. Even They're even actually under more stress because they're basically staring at a, a computer screen for four or five hours at a time. And, you know, just getting on this diversity thing, uh, I don't want to kind of, uh, I don't want to identify who this person is, but I'm just going to give you an example. When I was a kid and when I was going for flight training many years ago, there was an, an air traffic controller uh, who was female and also a minority who really was making a lot of mistakes in the control tower. Uh, pilots were calling the tower. Everybody knew it. It pretty much was like a laughing stock uh, within a certain region of the FAA. And they tried, they tried getting rid of her. They actually got rid of her. And then she basically sued, got her job back. And to make a long story short, they wound up transferring her from a smaller airport with very small airplanes to a major airport just to kind of get her out of the hair of and the environment where she was to pretty much give her like a, in other words, a, a, a fresh, a fresh start again. Uh, and that's one of the ex- examples, and we see that throughout in government where they just pretty much push people through, and it's very hard once you get, uh, say, like a minority or a female, I mean, it's very hard to, to fire you, you know, in the federal government. That's the exactly same thing right. even with the, yes, and even with the white male, it's very hard to even fire, fire a, a white male in the government unless you really screw up. You know, and I always tell people, everybody should have a government job. You're pretty much... You show up for work every day. You're pretty much set for life. You have a great pension when you retire. 
But uh, let's face it, government isn't like the pri- private sector. Yes. If this happened in the private sector, you'd be booted, you know, well, in, uh, in, in, in a matter of hours. Kyle, thank you for this. And excellent. I'd love to have you back on soon. You didn't really put me at ease. I'll be honest with that story. We need to demand excellence. And I think I speak for our audience. Next time you're at 35,000 feet, I hope that the pilot is qualified and knows what they're doing, not just there because they fit some sort of abstract criteria. Thank you, Kyle. Thanks. Hi, I'm Adriana, a politics major at Hillsdale College. Here's Hillsdale President Dr. Larry Arn with a Constitution Minute. America's founders recognized an obvious fact of life. Human beings differ in terms of physical attributes and talents. Because of this, some people will be better at some things than they are at others. But they also recognized that the tall and the short among us, the swift and the slow among us, are still human beings if we are recognizable as human beings. And therefore, we are equal in terms of the rights that pertain to human beings, rights attached to human nature rights that come from God. The Declaration of Independence names three of the big ones, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Exercising these rights is necessary if we are to be truly free. In our own time, many influential people believe that only government can decide what our rights should be. This is dangerous. Understanding our rights and how the Constitution protects them is vital to our freedom. To learn more and get a free pocket Constitution, visit constitutionminute.com. Let's dive into this a little bit deeper. So currently 19% of United Airlines pilot corps is minority or female. They openly state that they will ensure the next pilot class is half female minority. So here's just a few questions that United Airlines should have to answer. Are there enough candidates to fill the 50% quota? Why are 81% of the pilots white currently? Is it because they happen to be the best pilots? Is it possible white men tend to be more attracted to the flying profession? If white men land planes safely, what is the problem? Seriously, what problem are you trying to solve here? Why are you trying to force a hiring class when there is no noticeable problem, except you don't like the melanin content in the skin of the people in the cockpit? If hiring is based on merit, why aren't there more minority or female pilots? Why should I be upset? Why should you be upset? Or angry that 81% of pilots are white men. These are decent people. They're family men. A lot of them are veterans. And we've all had our lives in their hands. And they've done a pretty darn good job, honestly. A lot of them have. And so we're supposed to just blame whitey because 81% of the pilots are white? How many times have we boarded an airplane? A little anxious, a little nervous. It's a thunderstorm. And 81% of the time, there's a white man up there. And I could say this as somebody who has flown millions of miles. 3,200 days on the road. I have traveled the world. Million Mile Club on United and multiple millions on American Airlines. Yes, at times there's a lot of complaints with the airlines, but the pilots have been excellent. So what is the problem we're trying to fix here exactly? We're trying to just worship the cult of diversity, but it gets worse than that. Why are more nurses and teachers female? Is it because society is anti-male or is it because women are drawn to this profession in greater proportion than men? Every analysis we have of similar quota-based affirmative action programs results in lowering of standards in order to meet these goals. This is important. For example, if you looked at the Harvard admission standards, they had to lower very quietly their standards 20 to 30% for test scores for black students versus Asian and white counterparts. The question that United Airlines has to answer, and they won't, 
Will United Airlines lower the criteria for new pilot hires to meet their goals like Harvard did before they got caught? We've largely also been a victim of our own success. Praise God, in the last 25 years, we haven't had a major airline crash. That is rare. Airplane crashes happen frequently in Pakistan, India, and the third world. We assume landing and flying planes is brainless, easy work. It's not. It's high stakes. It's difficult. It's intense. It's a calling for someone to become a pilot. You have to love it. Of course, there are qualified black and female pilots. And when I said what I said on Thought Crime, and I will repeat what I said, I never challenged that. But what DEI does is it introduces poisonous, toxic lines of thinking. The point I was making is this, is it's condescending to qualified blacks. It's condescending to qualified females. What it does then is it forces questions that otherwise would not exist in a pure merit-based system. For example, if United Airlines CEO said, we have the best pilots. If they're black, if they're women, if they're Asian, if they're Indian, we have the best pilots, period. I would never have this thought that I said on our show. I said, because of DEI, it begs the question when you see a black pilot, you wonder, you say, I hope they are qualified. I wouldn't think that if the CEO of United or these airlines would reject DEI and say excellence is the ultimate standard. And finally, here is the question that United must answer, United Airlines. If you have a very, very qualified white pilot and two somewhat qualified black pilots and your hiring class is at 49%, and if you hire the two somewhat qualified black pilots, you reach your goal of 50%. But the the amazing Top Gun, square jaw, Tom Cruise guy would keep you at 49%. Who do you hire, United? Who do you hire? That is a real question. When you put diversity first, it means that you would not put ability first. And I think we know the answer to that question. The solution is get rid of all DEI in every form or fashion. And the reason why we all get so worked up about the pilot example and with the surgeon example is that there's not a lot of room for error. If there's diversity, equity, inclusion in the luggage department, that's frustrating. If they lose your piece of luggage and they send it to Honolulu and you are going to New York. But if there's diversity, equity, inclusion in the cockpit and otherwise qualified applicants were not hired because they don't look the right way, That is repulsive and the decline of civilization as we know it. Christmas is here, everybody. And that means that you might have to be moving boxes or just it's tough, a lot of stress. And that means inflammation increases. And that means pain also might increase alongside of it. Relief Factor, though, is here to help. It's a daily supplement that helps your body fight back against pain. It's 100% drug-free. And Relief Factor was developed by doctors searching for a better alternative for pain. Relief Factor uses a unique and proven formula of natural ingredients like turmeric and many others to help you get out of pain, to reduce or eliminate the everyday aches and pains you're experiencing. So whether it's neck, back, joint, or muscle pain, Relief Factor can help you feel better. Unlike pills that simply mask your pain for a short time, Relief Factor helps support your body's natural response to inflammation. 
so you feel better all day, every day. Over 1 million people have tried Relief Factor Quick Start, and nearly 70% of people go on to order it again. Relief Factor isn't simply about feeling better. It's about living better, living the life you want, doing the activities you love. So see how Relief Factor can help you with their three-week quick start, feel back, or your money-back guarantee. So check it out right now, relieffactor.com, or call 1-800-4-RELIEF. Slay that inflammation. Go to relieffactor.com. Joining us now is Chip Roy. Chip, welcome to the program. Uh, Chip, you and I had some fun text message over the weekend, uh, but we won't get we won't get into that. I have a lot of respect for you, Chip. Chip, walk us through the Supreme Court decision and your now viral remarks where you say it's time for Texas to ignore the court and secure the border. You have the floor, Chip Roy. Hey, Charlie, great to be on as always. And like I always enjoy our text exchanges and you're always thoughtful about stuff, even when we disagree. And look, I'll tell you exactly what's going on. I am in Brackettville, Texas right now. I'm about to have a meeting with landowners uh, and a bunch of the leadership and uh, local law enforcement and folks that are leading in South Texas uh, to get an update of what they're facing. I'm not yet sure if I'm going to get to Eagle Pass. I may. I'm, I'm talking to some of the guys down there. But the bottom line is uh, it is long past time uh, for Texas to just go ahead and tell the federal government no. I mean, if the federal government is not going to do their job, if they're going to expose the people of Texas to danger, fentanyl poisoning, the empowerment of cartels, terrorists coming across our borders, criminals coming across our borders, our ranchers, you know, fences getting out, their livestock getting out, and there's no end in sight, 10,000 a month. It is absolutely absurd. The numbers of gotaways are extraordinary. We're bearing the brunt of it. And now the Supreme Court comes in and says, and by the way, 5-4 decision with, with obviously John Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett siding with the leftists. And they say, no, sorry, even though the Constitution says it's the federal government's job to take care of the border, and even though the Constitution says States can repel invasion if the federal government fails to do it. They say, no, sorry, Texas, too bad. You can't do that. And we're going to allow the Border Patrol to get in there and cut razor wire. Now, that was one decision. As you know, you're a smart guy. This still has to go back to the Fifth Circuit. There's more to come. But the state is right to proceed. At the end of the day, their job is to secure this state and protect its people. And if the federal government is failing, they've got to do it. Yeah, so, so Chip. Can you walk us through what that what the implications of that is? The, and we don't say that lightly. You and I love the law. We respect our system of checks and balances. In fact, we believe that this is actually the restoration of the rule of law, us suggesting this. But this is certainly this is not yeah. this is not a small move that you're recommending here. Please continue. Yeah, no, Charlie, this is exactly right. I had a friend of mine from law school that I respect a great deal who pinged me and said, now, hold on a second. I mean, I'm with you. We should secure the border. But, you know, this venturing down the direction of nullification and those kinds of concepts. And, you know, this individual raised the question. So, well, hold on a second. You think the Heller opinion is good. You think there's an individual right to bear arms to and use those arms to protect yourself. What if a state said, well, in order to protect our citizenry, we're going to ignore that court opinion. We do not believe it's an individual right. We believe it's a collective right. Therefore, we're not going to respect it and we're going to, uh, you know, take guns away or whatever. All right. Reasonable question, right? You get it, Charlie. Like, it's an academic question when you sit around and debate. The response I give is the Constitution contemplated a federal government of limited enumerated powers and specifically said the federal government is supposed to manage those issues but did in fact reserve the ability and the right of governors and states to protect their own citizenry in the absence of the protection of the federal government. It's very specific. In addition, just conceptually, okay, if you're at your house and it's being invaded 
and the Supreme Court ruled yesterday, you may not use a weapon to defend yourself and your family. You must retreat and flee. You cannot do it. I'm here to say I would do it anyway. My point is at some point, you have to recognize what our job is in reflecting our God-given rights, which the Constitution, the Bill of Rights does, a form of government that is decidedly built around empowering people and states and localities, not the federal government to interfere. And we've got to be able to hold the line. I say this respectfully. I say it with the fear of what I'm saying. I do not want to live in a post-constitutional world, but this court is pushing our hand and the court needs to know that because John Roberts likes to go around to the cocktail set and say, Hey, I came up with a tax idea instead of a mandate idea to save Obamacare. I want them to feel the pressure because if they're political animals, they need to know it. We were out there defending Amy Coney Barrett when her house was being protested. We said that the law should be enforced to protect her. Where is she when the people of Texas need to be protected? Totally MIA. That, that is exactly right. And so this, this is heavy stuff. And I'll be honest, Chip, I was a little bit surprised that the governor of Abbott just continued forward. He, that, that is uncharacteristic based on what I've seen from him previously. He's a lawyerly guy. He's very by the book. That's not a by the book thing. I completely support it. I applaud it. And can you help me understand that, Chip? Is he banking on a decisive fifth circuit? Is he signaling that the crisis is at such a fever pitch that since Texas was once a sovereign nation and can repel invasion, that Texas is going to take care of itself, even if the federal government says it can't. I do not want to speak for Governor Abbott. Um, you know, we don't always agree, but we agree a lot on the basic um, operations of government and what we should do and shouldn't do. Um, he is very careful. I, I say that respectfully, but also sometimes critically. Um, I, I believe that he is reaching the judgment that, look, you got to reach a sober judgment, right? You know, when, when we want to say that we want our law enforcement in Texas to do the job with Border Patrol and go grab an illegal and remove that illegal and take them across into Mexico. All right. I say that I believe it. Governor Abbott's, well, if, if he has to process that as the chief executive, he's the one that has to say to a DPS trooper, you're going to do this, but you may get sued. You may get sued under federal law under you know, 1983 or whatever for a civil rights violation. You may get prosecuted by the federal government. And then I'm left having to figure out how to defend that. That is a heavy burden. So I want to be very clear. You're very thoughtful about this kind of thing. We have to view this soberly about what we're talking about. I want to preserve and protect the Republican form of government that our country is built upon. And I want a strong America standing in front of the American flag. But my first duty as an elected official is yes to the Constitution. But my first duty is to make sure that I'm protecting and, and uh, following my job to make sure our people are protected and secure and safe. That's what leaders of a state of a sovereign entity have to be concerned about. And so that's what we're up against. So to answer your question, Governor Abbott sees what you see, what I see. He sees terrorists. He sees criminals. He sees fentanyl. And he sees a federal government not just failing, but purposefully refusing to carry out their duty to secure the border of the United States. So I believe he's looking at that. I can't predict what he's saying about the Fifth Circuit, but that's that's the truth. Can you just riff on this? Because the the evil Marxist left, and I don't use those words lightly, it seems as if they found this loophole. And the loophole is that as long as we control the cabinet agencies, 
we get to choose what laws we enforce and how enthusiastically we enforce them. And it's almost a way to subvert and bypass. It's a loophole of our constitutional system and order. And then you guys do a good job. I mean, you bring Mayorkas, and I, I wish you would impeach him, but we'll get to that in a second. You bring him in front, and then he just lies. And he says, oh, no, we're enforcing the law. And, you know, basically, what are you going to do about it? He's almost taunting you, Chip, and you know it, because they want the border open. And the way that they think they can do it is through controlling these cabinet secretaries and agencies. And just so everyone's at home, if you haven't been following this, we did a whole show on it. The Biden administration sued Texas so that they could keep the border open. That was what the lawsuit was all about, saying, how dare you, Texas, get in our way to interfere with our open border agenda? That is what the lawsuit was all about and to cut fences. And so let's just talk about this for a second here, Chip. I think it's very, very important, which is the cabinet secretaries. They have found a workaround of the framer-designed and framer-intended checks and balances where you have these cabinet secretaries that do whatever they want. Yeah, I mean, this this is actually a fundamentally important problem, right? It's not just Mayorkas, right? We, we have the Supreme Court, the irony here, right? The Supreme Court said you can't do what you're doing with respect to student loans, yet they're doing it anyway, right? They're they are purposely ignoring the law on multiple areas under the, the various cabinet secretaries, Department of Justice and what they are doing, right? They, they, were, they were obstructing justice with respect to Hunter Biden. They were purposely using laws to target pro-lifers, right, under the FACE Act. They are, a, they are making a mockery of the law. They're, they're abusing the law to carry out their leftist ends and, in this case, leave our border wide open. And as you pointed out, Mayorkas... He's doing it on purpose, and he lied to us under oath, famously, looking at me sitting in the Judiciary Committee, when I put the text of the law right in front of him. He boldly, brashly said, yes, we have operational control. And I said, are you sure? This statute right here, yes, we have operational control. Then he went to another committee and said, well, no, I mean, not under that meaning of the definition, but that meaning was literally the statute I put right in front of him. He knows what games he's playing. It's purposeful. And Charlie, you and I know why. There are 50 million foreign-born people in this country. They have something like 20 million children born to them. This is the highest percentage in our history, even the late 19th century, right, in the great immigration boom then. This is higher at a time when we're not teaching our kids about Western civilization. We're not teaching our kids our country is great. We're not teaching our kids about the Constitution. We're not praying in school. You cannot have a country when you import the world and you no longer have a value set that you are having people assimilate to. And that's what this is about. It's purposeful. It's purposeful for redistricting in the House. And that's what we're up against. Very good. Chip? I know that you are uh, right. You're handling the border issue right now. This is some heavy stuff, everybody. And if the Biden regime continues to defy the law, then the moral answer is that the states and the citizens must do it. It's a 10th Amendment answer. Chip, thank you so much. Hold the line. We have your back. Thanks so much. Thanks, Charlie. I'll go see these great Texans. I'll talk to you soon. God bless. Yeah. Tell them I say hi and hold the line. We have their back. Help, Help is on the way. All right, I want to tell you about Herzog. Herzog Foundation is amazing. I want you guys to check it out right now. 
we've been talking about how our nation's public schools have been captured by progressive ideologues teaching things that directly contradict the values of millions of American families. For those of you worried about the best educational path for your kids and grandkids, I'm pleased to announce our new partnership with the folks at the Herzog Foundation. They are the trusted source of American K-12 private education with a remarkable suite of resources for parents and grandparents. From their online publication, The Lions, to the new podcast, Making the Leap, Herzog Foundation offers a wide range of advice and information for Christian parents. To learn more about how your family and faith and community can flourish through a quality Christian education, go to HerzogFoundation.com. That is HerzogFoundation.com. HerzogFoundation.com. H-E-R-Z-O-G. HerzogFoundation.com. Chicago is a great, once a great city, and now it's going into the suburbs. So if you don't know Naperville, let me kind of give you a picture of Naperville, Illinois. Naperville is an affluent suburb. I believe it is in DuPage County, if I'm not mistaken, right near Bolingbrook and Wheaton. Very wealthy. A lot of very well-accomplished people that live in Naperville, Illinois. Uh, great schools, state champions in football almost every other year. They got Naperville North. They got Nequa Valley. Really good schools out there. Um, it was a Money Magazine top 50 suburb. It's supposed to be the picturesque Chicago suburb. American dream in Naperville. And a lot of my family is from that area and not too far from Naperville. Beautiful spot. The illegal crisis is so bad, you now have members of the Naperville City Council saying, hey, uh, can we get a sign-up sheet so that uh, illegals can have a place to go? Can we have a sign-up sheet? Now, I'm, I've multiple takes on this. First of all, I'll be curious who actually signs up. I will be, I will be curious how many white liberals will allow third worlders into their mansions in Naperville. I mean that non-sarcastically. Listen to this cut 118. Oh, you know, before we go down the road of, you know, doing what, you know, following suit on some of these other cities are taking action on, let's find out who's willing to help. You know, so, you know, we do hear from constituents on both sides of this. What are we going to do to preemptively stop this? And then we hear from people that tell us we should do more. You know, we do have a, a very affluent community, a lot of big homes. And um, what I'd like to do is direct staff to create a sign-up sheet, you know, for individuals that would be willing to house migrant families. And if there's people that would do that, God bless them. So if we could raise, raise awareness in that way, um, I think we need to find out. I think we need to find out who would be willing to house migrant families. Now, some people are attacking this guy for even suggesting it. I'm a little more neutral on it. In some ways, he's kind of calling the bluff of the political sentiment of Naperville. And he's also just saying, look, I actually I I don't hate what he's saying. Obviously, it's a big crisis. And he didn't even say we're going to force it if people want to sign up. He's kind of saying the right thing. And I don't know if he's a liberal or a conservative. And his tone was actually great. And we should have a heart for all people. We should have compassion. In some ways, I actually think this would red pill a lot of people of fighting age males. You get this 19-year-old from Uzbekistan. He just shows up and you're like, yeah, here's Khalid. Like, oh, I thought I was getting like a migrant family. I know it's a 19-year-old from Uzbekistan. We have no idea who he is. (laughs) What? And so I, I don't hate that clip. It does show, I'll be curious because a lot of the Naperville residents are up in arms over this. They're furious that this city council member would even suggest this. Naperville 
has become a Democrat stronghold. It used to be a Republican stronghold. It's now a Democrat stronghold. Most to the left. So, but what is it that you guys find so offensive about it? And that's why I don't hate what the city council, some of the people on the right are attacking the city council person. How dare you even suggest it? He said, no, no, we can have a sign up sheet. He said, we have, an, we have an affluent neighborhood. Now, I don't know if this is what the city council member intended, but in some way, he's kind of calling the bluff. It's easy to sit in your 6,000 square foot home in Naperville, vote Democrat, give money to BLM and support open borders. And the, and the, then you have a, you have a city council guy that says, well, we have a sign up sheet. You say, that's insane. Well, why wouldn't you take them in? I thought they're dreamers. I thought they're wonderful. I'm sure you guys have a spare bedroom. Maybe the 19 year old from Mexico can get to know your daughter since diversity is our strength. Does that, would that not make you feel safe? Having the 20 year old guy from Nicaragua get to know your 16 year old daughter. If what I just said bothers you, then I'm proving the point. So you're perfectly fine with them invading Texas and invading Arizona and invading the rest of the country. But if you get up in arms that a city council member rather soberly, and I got to be in a neutral way, says, hey, can we have a sign-up sheet? And people are furious. How dare you? Solve this problem for me. Don't bring them into my home. And even says, God bless you if you want to do it. So I'm going to, I loved his tone. I thought he was actually excellent in the way he did it. I'm going to be keeping a close eye on this in Naperville. How many people actually end up signing up? Who knows? Will people be safe signing up, bringing in these unchecked, unvetted people? We don't know their backgrounds. We don't know their public health history. We shall see. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Email us as always, freedom at charliekirk.com. Thanks so much for listening. God bless. For more on many of these stories and news you can trust, go to charliekirk.com.